Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 406 featuring Taylor Mall, who is a visual effects feature of a supervisor in feature animations over at Double Negative or DNEG as most people call it. Uh, I met her over at THU. This was recorded a while back. Uh, she is quite the character. She has has a ton of experience in feature animation and has done a lot of amazing work, especially in the area of lighting and surfacing, uh, but obviously uh, as a supervisor as well. Uh, quite the career path. It was really great to hear all of her, her story, uh, and it was really awesome to have her. Kristen, what did you think of Taylor? Yeah, this is a great podcast. She kind of just like takes us through her career. Um, like you said, she's been in this for a long time. She has over 20 years of experience um, and just worked on some amazing features, including Happy Feet, Kung Fu Panda 2, Rise of the Guardians, Ron's Gone Wrong. Um, and she kind of said, I think it was she started off and then she just moved to Australia to work on Happy Feet. Um, and then she also gives us a little bit of an inside look of how it used to be being a woman kind of in this male-dominated industry, but now things have changed, obviously, um, and it's also made her a better supervisor in the end. Um, and she also, so she founded the feature animation department at um, DNEG, and um, they are, she also tells us some of the new projects that are coming out, so that's going to be fun, and uh, also that they, in 2015, only had seven people, and now it's five to six hundred people worldwide in that department, so it's a, it's a really awesome podcast to listen to and just how it's grown absolutely yeah and taylor's taylor's really cool and and you're right she does talk about some of the issues that it, you know it's like to be a, uh, a woman supervisor um which i think is something that we all need to be aware of uh, as women and men uh and uh she's really good about explaining that and how she she overcame some of those issues um and uh i i, I kind of i really like that that aspect and i think everyone should be paying attention to what she's saying uh so really really cool to, to, to talk to her and and i was really glad we were able to do this uh okay so so it is uh, as we coming to the end of the year. So we don't have any announcements. People are getting ready for the holidays. So happy holidays to everyone. Uh, hopefully they're having a great, uh, great time with their friends and family. Uh, but uh, we're definitely going to have some new stuff coming up in 2023. So be on the lookout for those things. Uh, okay. So if people, but if people want to know more about this podcast, Kristen, where can they go? You can go to facebook.com slash podcast or go to chaos.com slash cggarage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Perfect. And of course, this, like I said, this was actually recorded at THU. So if you guys want to uh, check out THU and check out where we were in Troya, uh, make sure and check this out on the, on the video on our YouTube channel. Uh, and if you, of course, if you have any other ideas or suggestions for the podcast, you can always email us. Labs at chaos.com is our email. Again, that is labs at chaos.com. But for now, please enjoy episode number 406 with Taylor Mall. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. So uh, <laughs> I'd like to know, mm -hmm. uh, I went to your talk yesterday. You were giving some very, very strong advice about careers, uh, which I thought was very interesting. But I was, yeah. part of me wanted to know, I was like, okay, you've got to have some strong origin stories. And uh, I'd love to know a little bit about your, your origin story. Like, how did you start this? What, what inspired you? What made you, I know you told like why, wanted to make art and the confrontation with your with your parents about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was, I mean, I, I did, I always liked doing what, you know, I term as like artsy-fartsy stuff as a kid, right? Like right. I liked coloring and coloring books and I liked drawing and doing all that kind of stuff. But really, like through, through high school, I did a lot of photography and sculpture and all the basic art classes. But I also really enjoyed my science programs and for a very long while I was so sure I was going to be a geneticist mm -hmm. I just I freaking loved it I thought it was amazing and um, so that was like through uh, so this was in Canada Vancouver so like through grades 10 11 so we're what like 14 15 16 mm -hmm. 
And I was very, very much into it. And my mom was like, well, here's a question. Like, what happens if stuff changes in the microscope when you're not looking? And I was just like, oh, no. And so to this day, she's like, that's what it was? That's the comment that made you not go into sciences? Really? It was, well, and then the reality is, is that if it took a comment just like that to make me go like, yeah, I don't think I want to do this, then I probably just loved doing it, but I didn't want to do it for ever. Right. Um, I was also an avid dancer so loads of ballet and flamenco but um you know you don't exactly have a long lasting career in dance and once again it wasn't that passion um plus you do a lot to your body (laughs) oh oh, yeah we're not we're not (laughs) we're not all in one piece but the you know the harsh reality is is that I knew that I wanted to do something in a creative realm. I just didn't really know what that was. Right. And um, I, knew, I knew I liked photography. I had the great fortune when I was like in grades tw- eleven or twelve to go to Camden, Maine, and um, there was a school there called the Center for Creative Imaging. It was back when Kodak was still a thing. Okay. Remember yeah. Kodak? Yeah, 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 <laughs> Kodak yeah. Eastman. Uh-huh. Um, and so they had sponsored this school and they were sort of teaching people how to use digital cameras and digital photography and all these sorts of things. Um, and so that was sort of a shift where I realized that I could do all of these really, really fun and amazing things with a standard camera, but then I could dump them into a computer and manipulate images and do all of that. Sure. You still don't know that that's a thing. You don't know that that's a career. Plus, mm-hmm. you know, when you're 16, you're kind of stupid. You don't, you don't know. Right. Um, so it was just like a lot of, uh, as I sort of said in my talk, I knew I wanted to have a job. I, liked, I knew I wanted to have a paycheck. I knew that I wanted to be more in a commercial arts world than a, you know, f- fine arts. Like painting, pa- painting what I wanted to. I wanted to paint what other people wanted. Right. right. Like to have that sort of sponsorship, to have that sort of um, security, for lack of a better term, and and then photography kind of fell that way. <laughs> so I did a lot of weddings. Oh, interesting. Which is horrible. Yeah. I don't recommend it. Um, it takes a certain it takes a certain human to be a wedding photographer, and I right. was not that human. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a lot of ups and downs and not really finding the right thing until, you know, probably, you know, early 20s, 21, 22, kind of went back to school and just thought, because I'd done commercial arts, standard um, digital arts for uh, um, a company called ABC Photocolor in Vancouver. I don't know if they still exist. Probably not. Right. Um, But yeah, it was commercial arts, you know, print campaigns, all that sort of stuff kind of maxed out my career at that point. And so I went back to school because they were doing, it was Vancouver. So it was X-Files and Millennium and all these crazy things. So I was like, well, maybe there's something in this visual um, effects animation world that interests me. And that's when uh, I realized that there was this whole division of like digital map painting and set extensions. And um, do you remember, do you remember the TV show uh, 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 Crime Scene Investigators in Vegas? And back then, there was this really, really fun thing that they would always do, and they would like hold a frame, and then they would shoot the camera like through, uh-huh. like through time and space and whatever. And so what we would do is we would take those plates, and we would just sort of like paint behind them and put everything up on layers, and we would take the camera scope. And so I did a lot of that. Right. I really loved doing that stuff. It just it, there's something about it that I was like, yes, I'm I'm taking something that already exists, and I'm doing something much more fun and creative with it. Nice. And that was very much my vibe. Um, so yes, yeah, so if you haven't. If people, any of your listeners haven't seen it, go and watch just a couple of episodes. Okay. Hilarious. They're hilarious. But there's a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. So, so it, I, I never had that clear vision. Okay. Of like, I'm going to be an animator. I'm going to be. That was never sort of it. I just knew not this kind of this. And every, every decision that I made, it was in preparation to find what I actually wanted to do. Right. Um, I don't like it when... I hear people say, like, well, I'm just lucky. Like, well, luck has something to do with everything, of course. Sure. But you don't get a job as, like, an art director or as a head of animation. Or you don't get a job at Disney or Pixar strictly on luck. Right. Right? You had to, like, set yourself up to be ready for that opportunity so that when it presented itself, you could take it. Right. So there is a lot of preparation and trial and error and decision making and then the luck. Picks up on it, and so so my luck was that I found 
jobs and people that sort of went, well, try this thing or try that thing. And it took me to the next place and prepared me to go like, well, I don't want to do that, but I do want to do this. Okay. I sort of narrowed it down that way. All right. Well, there was a lot. So you were kind of narrowing your scope. You went pretty broad and started narrowing yeah. it down. So yeah. where, what was the final focus? Where, where did you say, ah, I found it? Well, when I, when I was in school, so I had gone back to school. Um, once again, the school's been bought out. It doesn't exist anymore. This is one of those things where like, you realize as you get older, you're like, oh, nothing exists anymore. Right. Um, so I'd gone back to the school, and the, it was a two-year program. And I was working at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really, uh, I didn't like animation. I didn't like modeling. I didn't like compositing. So everything they were teaching us, which were, you know, like the big three for when you go into a visual effects or animation or commercials division, I just, I didn't want to do any of those things. And so right. the year was coming up and I'm like, well, I, I'm out. Like, I'm not going to take a second year. I'm just going to, you know, move along. And that was when they taught us, uh, like, how to UV things and how to, you know, do uh, camera projections and how to do texturing and how to do digital map painting. And I was like, oh, okay. This, this, is, this is an interesting thing for me. And a lot of my instructors who were, what I enjoyed about the school is it, all of the instructors were working professionals. Nobody right. was, like, a professional instructor. Right, right, right. Um, and so I had a lot of instructors who were like, but you're so good at effects and you're so good. I'm like, but I don't like it. Right. And I'm already in a job that I don't like. Right, right, right. Um, and it's, you know, I was always a big fan of Reboot. Okay. One of my very first unpaid jobs, mm-hmm. um, which it was like doing a sky for Reboot while I was still in high school. Okay. Like, because I knew how to use a computer and I knew how to paint in a computer. Yeah, so it was great. So I like made a sky for one episode of Reboot. Um, and so, with, with from school, I got a job at Mainframe, as as a okay. as a as like a texture artist, right? Um, and doing digital map paintings, and and sort of taking the premise of what we were, we had been doing um, for like shows like CIS and taking actual art from. I have seen a lot of Barbie movies, uh-huh. <laughs> so taking like beautiful concept designs from the art department on Barbie and cutting them up and flying cameras through the space so that the art directors could see how cinematic the space could be. Right. And that was sort of like this, that, that's where I was like, ow, okay. I like taking, a, that, that, that was a big one. I like taking other people's visions and putting them on steroids right. and showing them like where it could really go. And, and I liked having a limited scope as to my own input. It, I found it incredibly stressful like in university when they were like, validate your art experience. You're like, ah, like, I don't know. I just, you told me to make a sculpture, so I made one. Like, right. It was, I was, I, I liked being like, so this is what we need it to look like and this is what we need it to be. Uh-huh. And then you sort of go, okay, yes, I see that. But I also see that if we did, we made it a little bit more blue, if we put a cloud over here, if we did this, it would actually add to the composition because you're not really seeing it in the, in the realm of the space. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, that just kind of, spiraled and it just kept layering on top right. of it and um getting opportunities i mean the you know my, my big i <laughs> i call it you know i channeled my inner white man and i just started applying for jobs that i knew i had no right applying for right <laughs> and um because i was just like i'm not i don't know i'm i can't i'm i'm not that good i've only been doing this for two or three years and I applied, uh, I had heard that they were working on this movie in Australia, and I really wanted to move to Australia. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I applied as uh, an environment uh, surfacing artist, and I got hired. And I went and I worked on Happy Feet nice. for like a year. And I was just like, what? You think that I, I was just, it was such validation to be like, wow, yeah. okay, I guess I actually am doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was really the solidifier of like, I'm not just Barbie. I'm not just this. I'm not, you know... TV, you know, these things like I can actually, I'm good. I yeah. am good. And, and what, what all of these years of sort of scratching at it, it now it makes sense. This sure. is what it's supposed to be. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Okay. Well, that's, that's kind of, okay. So Happy Feet was like, it's all there. I'm yeah. working on Happy Feet. Nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or won an Oscar. Oscar, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, that's why I said, like, in my talk, I'm like, I tapped out early. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't get yeah, much better than that. Film, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, 
So yeah, that, that's really cool. I'm, I'm really, I'm really, really think that's a good idea. Okay, so, so that was your realm, that was your thing, that was your start, and that's where it goes. So your career kind of grew from there. Yes. So where, where did you go from there? Um, well, so I think as we both know, a lot of your career path is based very much on who you know, not necessarily what you know. And it does pay to be nice and to talk to the strange people and to, you know, not kiss up, but like to have respect for the individuals who are the executives. And in, in, in the case of uh, Happy Feet, I made a really amazing mentor, a guy by the name of um, Ed Jones. He was yeah. actually one of the optical, the optical supervisor for uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right. And, um, you know, Ed is this just monster of a man in all of the best ways possible, right? right. Like he's got, he's, 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 he has such a firm understanding of who he is and what it is that he's doing and what he has to offer to a show. And I know that there's a lot of mixed feelings and reviews on him as a person, but like within the industry, and I'm not going to, you know, I love him. He's done nothing except uh, put my career forward. He put me on a path and really made me validate myself as an artist. Um, and so for, with, with Ed, Ed eventually ended up at a company, it was Mainframe, but re rebooted <laughs> uh -huh. as uh, Rainmaker Entertainment. Oh, Rainmaker, yeah. And that was, they were doing their first full animated movie, full right. full feature animation. And um, Rainmaker and was based in Vancouver, right? Yes. So it was one of those Canadian realms where it was like, so there was mainframe entertainment and then there was Rainmaker visual effects and then there was... It wasn't stars. They became stars, but it was the company that existed before stars. And they bought Rainmaker and Mainframe, and then Rainmaker became, I can't remember what, and then Mainframe became Rainmaker. Right. It was like this whole, the, the history of the visual effects and animation industry inside of Canada is very interesting, like right. how companies would break down and then five would come up in its place. And Did Rainmaker do practical stuff too? I don't know. Because I wasn't part of the Rainmaker visual effects division, okay. which was a totally separate building. Oh, in, I see. Um, yeah, so, so Mainframe was sort of, if you know Vancouver at all, Mainframe was sort of in uh, off of Burrard Street, kind mm -hmm. of right in, in that sort of area. And Rainmaker, if I'm not mistaken, is now where the uh, Olympic Village was built okay. for, uh, for the Olympics that Vancouver had held. So very, very different buildings, very, very different work, no overlap of staff, no overlap of, which is why when Mainframe became Rainmaker, Rainmaker became, I don't remember what, okay. but uh, somebody out there will, will correct me, right. fill in that blank. Um, but so that was the, I, I followed Ed there to help them sort of create an animation pipeline. And um, it, I had been a supervisor before I went to Animal Logic. Mm -hmm. Animal Logic was when I stepped back to become an artist again and sort of right. just regain my sanity and faith in humanity. Um, and then when I when I went to go work for Ed, uh, I was a supervisor again. Okay. Um, that was really great because I felt more prepared for it. I felt actually supported and backed by my executive producer. Yep. And, and that was a feeling that a lot of us had. Most of the people uh, who had come to Rainmaker to, to, to you know, help them set up a feature animation pipeline, it was their first time doing that job, right? First time animation director. Yeah. Yeah. First time you know, VFX supervisor. We'd all been in the industry and done things, but it was our first time in those positions. But having somebody at the helm, like Ed, just being like, you got this. And if you need anything, like trust your instinct, go. You know how to do this. Just do it. Like talk to people, sure. Come up with the best decision. And if it's not the good decision, change your mind and do something else. Like sure. go a different way. It is okay to admit that you like fucked up and you can just fix it. Right. So that was a really great it was a really great time. It was hard and it was stressful and it sucked, but right. you were moving towards something that was great. Um, and then the movie ended up not happening. Okay. <laughs> As happened so many times. Right. 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 Um, but so that would have been really around that time where I was like, oh, okay, I know that I'm good with people. I know that I understand schedules and production and um, how to be able to communicate with the other departments. I know how a movie gets made, how data translates down the pipeline right? Um, and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So 
that's that's a big skill change because yeah. knowing how to work with people, I know exactly what that meant. So I've been a supervisor mm -hmm. myself many times, and that's a that's something you really have to sort of hone in yeah. beyond your your skill set. Uh, how what around what time year was this? This would have been around what time? 20, 2009, 2010? Okay. 2000, yeah. Okay. Something like. Because those are, those, I mean, it's still. 2009, uh, yeah. Uh, there were at that time very many uh, women supervisors. No, there was, there was me and our uh, head of cinematography. Right. We were the only two females that were even within leadership at lead level or above. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like in back in those days? Those days. Um, it it honestly it was absolutely and totally fine. However, comma, <laughs> uh, which I, which I genuinely don't want to talk too much about. The the movie was a Weinstein project. Okay. Okay. So it had that underlying. Yeah. yeah. So my everyday work experience was actually nobody gave a shit right, that right. I was a woman. Okay. And because we were all first timers, we all sort of knew that we were going to be screwing up and all that kind of stuff. Right. But there were there were instances where with the the upper uppers of producer land mm -hmm. that it was awkward for myself right. and um, and other females on the floor. Right. But that's yeah. I think, right. I think well, that's the big asterisk that we can all just go like, and I see where that story goes. Yeah, 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 yeah we do. But, yeah. Know, but, but it's good because, you know, I've, I've actually spoken to several women who were, you know, who were supervisors during yeah. that time. And to them, it was more like uh, people don't listen to me like they listen to a man, and, you know, and I or, or worse yet, they can't just speak the way their mind of like, fix that, fix that. They have to be asked nicely, because if you say things what may be perceived too aggressively, you're, oh, you're yes. treated yeah, yeah. very poorly. I, I, I have been told that numerous, numerous times through sure. my career um, as an artist, as, as anything. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I think a lot of that comes down to it's from the top up right. or the top down. And because uh, shit like that wouldn't fly under Ed in that situation, sure. it was just going to be like every, everybody's the same. Many, many other places that I have worked, it was really awkward and not okay. And, um, yeah, it's, it's the whole you're very much undervalued and underrepresented and underappreciated. And they think very they just they just don't really consider you right which i think is far worse than the overt aggressiveness or the it, it's the i call it the death by the thousand paper cuts right right um because if somebody puts hands on you that's an e it's a horrible but it's an easy thing to be like and get out of my space right the uh i do remember so it would be so, so like the, the, the overt aggressive uh, sexual harassment, for instance, was a gentleman in the art department uh, came into my, into the surfacing division and started barking at me. Okay. And Yeah. And everybody just went, what, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I'm just, com I'm just communicating to you in your language of bitch. And I was like, and it was such, it's just like, you couldn't even believe yeah. that somebody would say something like that. Yeah. And what was worse was when I took it to human resources, they kind of went, well, That's I mean, we're going to have to figure out how to get along. Jesus. And so that's what makes it worse. And that's what, that's why so many women or individuals don't say anything. Right. Because what you're going to fire a person. No, you're not. No, you're right. not. No, you're not. So it is about, I have to figure out how to work with you. Right. Um, and I have to find my own allies and I have to protect my own self because I know at a company level, they can't necessarily afford to do it. Once again, we're now entering a different age. Yeah. Where, Things have changed. Uh, yeah. And yeah. there's been so many instances where it's just like, if, if anything remotely ha happened like that, I just be like, well, I don't work here. And I don't work here anymore. Right. So you can decide yep. who you'd rather have around. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, let's move on from that subject cool. for a little bit. So where did you go from this? Or like 2009, what's, what's your next journey? Uh, I went to DreamWorks. That was, oh. that was the big one after, after that. Uh, so once so again, you were in Canada, and yet at this point, did you move to the U.S.? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I had done, I had done uh, worked in Vancouver, and then I moved to Sydney, Australia, and then I'd come back and worked visual effects in Montreal for a bit, right. and then I had done a stint in games in L.A. for a bit, and then I'd come back up to Vancouver to work 
<coughs> for Ed again. Mm -hmm. And then when that project folded, I went, <coughs> excuse me, I went down to uh, Los Angeles, got a job at DreamWorks. Right, so Glendale. Yes, exactly. Right. I was at the Glendale campus. Um, and I was there for six years. And it was, it was really great. I always say, like, I probably stayed a year too long. Okay. Um, but, but that's, that's, DreamWorks was an amazing place to work. The campus is gorgeous. The projects were great. The people that I worked with were amazing. Yep. Um, but there was no room for upward mobility. Right. None. Like the, the surfacing department was 72 people. They yeah. had 13 supervisors. They didn't believe in leads. And so after working there for five and a half years, I was like, you just wanted me to keep working here. Right. Um, what were you working on? Um, so I had worked on uh, projects like Shrek 4, Kung Fu Panda 2, Rise of the Guardians. Mm -hmm. um, that's where I met my current mentor, uh, David Prescott. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I've, the last project that I worked on was Home. Okay. Um, and so at the end of Home, it sort of lined up perfectly. Uh, uh, DreamWorks was going through mass layoffs. Yeah. Um, they had shut down the PDI facility, right. moving a lot of the artists from that facility, offering them jobs in Glendale and offering them relocations to come down. The project that they wanted me to go to, I didn't, I didn't want to work for those individuals. I didn't want to work on the project. I didn't have an affinity for it, any of that sort of thing. People were being laid off, and I'm like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. So in your, I in your early days, time, of, uh, early days of DreamWorks, was was Nancy still around? Oh yeah, 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 okay. Nancy Bernstein. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. she was, yes. Okay. So, yeah, so you work with Nancy and David and, and all the back people, yes. right? And so yeah. those, those are, those, you, you said that David was an important mentor to you. Like, like what yeah. were some of the things, and, and I, I, I know that you still work for him. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, uh, or with him, at least. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so what, what were some of the things that, 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 that you looked for in mentorship? Because you mentioned a few during this time, right? Yeah. So for, for, a while at DreamWorks, the, the company was moving from C++-based shading to MetaSL. Mm -hmm. And um, I, as you know, have a lot of very strong opinions for all of the things. So they were, we were translating the shader library over, and I was just like, I don't, well, if we're, like, why would we do this pixel for pixel? I don't understand why we're doing this, like, attribute for attribute. So many of these things don't work. So many of these things, and you're not putting in the proper, like, we're not even looking at proper BDRFs or BX, like, any of these things. And they were like, well, you seem to be very, very uh, opinionated, opinionated. Why don't you go and work on the shadow testing team? Okay. And so, you know, I chose to see it as a, <laughs> as a sideways promotion, but I think maybe there was just the slightest hint of just shh, shh, shh. Fine, if you're going to be that aggressive or commentary sure. about things, go work with the developers. Um, and so I was doing that, and I was really, I was really enjoying it for a while. And then you get creatively bankrupt. You're just like, yeah. all I'm doing is looking at parity. All I'm doing is, and all of these, all, the work was really important. Sure, it really sure. was, and I learned so much. And I, you know, I remember having long conversations with Andy Copra, one of the guys who like wrote the. Bible on uh, Meta SL and just sort of really feeling smart. Sure. Like when you can hold a conversation with individuals who have written books. Right. And they're like, that's a good point. Like, oh, oh wow. Like you just have those sort of moments. But I was, I was becoming just very unhappy because it was creatively bankrupt and it was really stressful. Um, and uh, Rise of the Guardians was starting, and they were looking at being the first show that used MetaSL. Okay. And so that's when David Prescott, who was the visual effects supervisor on that show, would start, like, in within the rounds, would come to my desk and sort of see what was happening within the, um, the shadow testing facility. And, and, and well, I why do, is it called a shadow testing facility? <laughs> <laughs> because we operate, the way that DreamWorks would work is they would basically create a, a separate shadow tree. So you would work on the main tree, but then you had the shadow of it over here where you could be operating completely different system softwares within it. Okay. It was a great, very robust system, right? right? So you would be able to almost extract information from any point on a main show, put it into shadow tree, tested in a variety of different render engines, shader engines, all these various things, and it wouldn't affect the main show whatsoever. Got it. You were just in shadow world. Um, so surfacing and lighting had 
a lot of testing that they would do inside of Shadow Tree. Right. Um, but yeah, so I would do all these things and I would just sort of tell him what I was doing. And, and he would just be like, so you actually know the difference between what's happening in that version of the package and this version of the package. Like, uh-huh. yes. And he's like, and so, and then you know that you also are using this version of the package with that plugin and with the thing. So he was very impressed that I could remember facts of that nature, sure. but that moreover, it was an artistic translation of what was happening within each of the packages right. and like recommendations and concerns. And so I think just from being able to hold my own in a conversation with a visual effects supervisor, uh, they were like, well, she should probably go over onto the show to help them okay. through the meta SL uh, transference. Right. Um, and it was just, I loved being on that show. It's to this day, one of my most favorite shows to have worked on. The team was just phenomenal. All of the surfacing artists, um, management, you know, I really enjoyed working with Christina. I really enjoyed working with Nancy, um, David, I always tell people, I'm like, David Prescott will just, will, will break you, but he will make you better. He sure. will make you a better artist. Yep. Like you're not going to be showered in rainbows and roses, but you're going to get a crash course in what it means to just influence yourself and become a better version of an artist and a better version of a participant in a film. Right. Right. Um, and so that was that experience where we were just doing something so immensely beautiful and a William Joyce project. I mean, like, come on, his designs and his visions yeah. are just so, you know what it's supposed to look like. And we had an art department and an art director, um, Patrick Hannenberger, who was just like, this is it. This is what we need it to be. Right. And uh, Peter Ramsey, from, yeah. you know, goes on to do the amazement of, you know, Spider-Man and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. So it's, it, it was a pretty darn good show. Yeah. Um, Peter's been on this podcast. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we also, everybody that was on there left that show just feeling really good about themselves. Like we had actually done something that was a contribution to the artistic community, not just like fodder for children. Right. So. Right. So, okay. So that's, that feels pretty good. It feels pretty good. Exactly. But then you said, he's like, okay, I stayed here. I know the feeling like I, you know, I worked at Sony when it was a thousand people and I saw the long line of people that were waiting to be promoted with people had to die off for you to get promoted. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of. It was just, you know, I, the longer, the longer that you stay someplace and you start to see you know, who is, who is really the Suji supervisor? And right. Who is really... And you work with amazing people and then you work with average people. Then you work with less than average people. Sure. And you're just like, I, but I know that I could do this if given the opportunity. Right, right, right. And as years pass, I mean, by this, you know, I'd been a lead a couple of times and supervisor a couple of times during the course of my career to this point. And after each one of those instances, I sort of always went like, ah. Oh, too soon or didn't enjoy that or that's actually not what I really want to do and then after it was definitely after five years at DreamWorks where I was just like that's what I'm supposed to really be doing you know you know no shade to any of the leads and soups that I had me wanting to do their job doesn't take anything away from them right and I think that was a hard pill for a lot of soups or just in in general I think it's a lot it's a hard pill for a lot of soups to swallow Right. Other people having that desire to take their jobs does not mean that you're not good at your job. Right. It just means that like you should be targeting for the next job. And that's what I say to my teams now. Like when I was surfacing supervisor at DNIG Animation, I was pushing my leads to try to do my job. Because I was like, bitch, I want to be promoted. <laughs> like, like right. I want to move to head of build and I need somebody to take over surfacing soup if I want that job. Right. So, um, so yeah, with, with DreamWorks, it was just... I was never going to be anything except an artist. Right. And for a lot of people, that's the goal. That's the dream. That's the success to be paid very, very well, to have a very stable job, to be a member of the union, to work at a beautiful campus on, you know, multi-million dollar, multi-million dollar projects that people are going to see. That is definitely a nice place to settle. Yes. It's a nice place to ride out your career or, you know, to earn your wings or whatever you want to call it. And I was just like, I got to go. Right. I got to go because I know I know I want to be more than what DreamWorks will let me be. Yep. I've had an, I've sold this story before on the podcast, but I basically had a very similar experience at Sony where I, I didn't know what to do. And as interesting, Kevin Mack, who was my supervisor, mm. 
I took him out to lunch and I, and uh, he still remembers it. And I asked him what I should do. And then he said, I think you, it was more like, what do I need to do to get to that, you know, VFX supervisor role, which I want to eventually get to. Yeah. And he goes, the first thing I would do is quit soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was working with it. Yeah. You know? So I was yeah. like, ah, okay. Yeah. And so it's like, there is, there's not room. So, okay. So, so yeah. you did do that. So, yes. so, and that was the choice you made. Did did you get that opportunity right away, or you still had to get a few more things to do that? Where do you go from there? Well, so at the time, I was also in a long-term relationship with a, a gentleman who was an editor. Okay. And he uh, had been offered a job at Illumination. So he was uh, going to be moving to France. France and yeah. I was like, I ain't staying out in L.A. Right. <laughs> like, I never had an affinity for L.A. I was not a person that moved there and was like, oh, I found my soul. Like, right. for me, L.A., I never really liked it. Right. Didn't really vibe with me. It was a, I never saw myself as being there full time or ending sure. my life. You know, wow. I almost said ending my life there. That's not yeah. what I meant. Right. Um, <laughs> staying there right. for the rest of the rest of my life. So when he had made the decision that he was going to be taking this opportunity to illumination, I was like, okay, well then I'm also not looking at staying in Los Angeles. Sure. I'm going to look at what opportunities there are internationally. Right. Um, and by this point, David Prescott just as we said, sometimes it's more who you know than what you know, yeah. and timing and setting yourself up for that opportunity. Um, David Prescott was um, consulting mm -hmm. with DNEG because uh, they were looking at opening up their animation facility. Yeah. And Tom Jacob, who's our president, yep. um, was there sort of helping establish it up. And Tom very briefly remembered. So I, I had worked with Tom at DreamWorks as well, but not directly. But he did very briefly remember me interviewing to work on his movie, uh, Space Chimps. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I remember you. I'm like, yes, I remember you as well. Uh -huh. um, and so, you know, they were talking to a couple of people to come in as a surfacing supervisor um, and to help them set up uh, the animation facility. And I think, you know, because I'd done it twice before, I had done it with... Rainmaker and I had done it with uh, with Mainframe. Mm -hmm. They were like, okay, well, you've kind of done this before, and we know that you've worked on this level of project before, and you're willing to move to London, England. Right. So come on over. Um, so it was sort of kismet in that I had decided that I was going to leave. Right. And you sort of let go of that branch. You're like, ah, I'll be fine. I can float myself for six months sure. if I need to. Um, but then within three months, I had moved to London okay, um, and started up at Dina Animation as uh, a, as a soup. Yeah. Um, supervisor of one. I mean, yeah. there was no team. Yeah. There was no nothing. I know it exactly that, what that is. Yep. yep. Starting from scratch. The entirety of Dina Animation was seven people. Right. And this was a, what year? 2015. Okay. So now we're 2020, five years later. How much, how much, or seven years later. Seven years later. Almost Jeez. eight. I know. Pandemic, man. Just go. Oh, yeah. Those are the <laughs> longest six years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So so what what uh, so so how how big is it now? Feature animation, I think, at this point, uh, internationally, globally, is around five hundred, six hundred people. Okay. So, so much bigger. Much bigger. Right. Yes. I mean, when I was there, when we, when I started, we had no team, no pipeline, no shows. Right. Um, so the first few of us were the ones who were doing tests and trying to set up a pipeline, um, fighting for resources and right. the understanding that animation and visual effects, one isn't easier or harder. They're different. Sure. Right. And a lot of principles can be very much the same, that you cannot use an identical pipeline to achieve different results. Right. right. And even a studio like Sony, who does do both things, there are portions where it will come off and then come back into the main pipe. Right? Like there's so many, just there's so many little elements where you have to operate just ever so slightly differently. Sure. Um, so how we handle environments in animation, how we handle generics and crowds in environments, right, right. Uh, in, in, in animation. Right. Just, just having to have these conversations slash arguments about like, well, in animation, five characters can be crowd right like we're not necessarily going to animate two main characters and then five background characters not right. when we can just walk them in the background and they're like well no a, a crowd system is 400 people or more <laughs> like 
if we got 400 people in a shot in an animated movie, we're shitting bricks. Like, right, yeah, like yeah. That, that, that's like a whole different level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're just just very fundamental. Defining everything. Is yes. it interesting? Was it the, I mean, you, you'd kind of built things from scratch before, obviously. But was this different this time yes. around? Yes. Yeah. What was the, the big difference? Because DNIC Visual Effects is an Academy Award-winning visual effects house. Okay. That has been in existence for however many years. It was... It was a machine that was moving and feature animation was considered by some to be more of an experiment or a pet project. And we didn't have a show. So why would we resource at a core level to support this weird borderline indie project? Right? Well, that's what I was going to ask because, you know, obviously, the DNEG visual effects is a service industry. Yes. Right? But yep. you're not. Yeah, you're I a mean, production company. Yes. An animation production company. Exactly. And so while we still do a lot of um, you know, client-based for higher work, right? Like not every we don't do a lot of our own IP, right. but we're doing the entire movie. We're not yeah. splitting up shots, we're not trying to carry assets, you know, within different facilities. So and just and, and the scale and the scope is different. It was a- after we delivered Ron Goes Wrong. We sort of had this moment of reflection with the entirety of the DNEG studio, like all of the branches, television, animation, and visual effects. And we pointed out that on Ron Goes Wrong, we had animated more frames of animation than the, in that one movie than the entirety of the studio had in its in existence. Wow. So perhaps we should have more of a presence in animation tools. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, maybe we're caching at a much higher rate. Sure. Maybe we have more, maybe we're just trying to get in more iterations, more frames, more, more characters. We've got posing, we've got blocking, we've got all of these various things. And it was like, okay, we see you now. Right. Um, and it was one of those things where even in my talk yesterday when I was saying one of the greatest lessons that I ever learned was always win through actions, never through an argument. Mm-hmm. And even at a studio level for resourcing within divisions at a studio, you kind of need to prove with action of like, look, this is how much data we put out. Maybe we deserve our own whatever, whatever, whatever. Gotcha. And that becomes very hard to dissuade. Right. Right. Um, And so, yeah, one of the other things that I participated in at Part of Dina Animation was I did a short film, which I actually showed here last yeah. year. Mr. Spam gets a new hat, mm-hmm. um, which is a wonderful reunion with uh, William Joyce. But we did the entire thing inside of Unreal, uh-huh. and sort of the whole reason for doing it was to figure out like, well, is it possible? What, yeah, like where does it break? Right. Because running an animated feature through Unreal and its current state would just be like a very, very hard endeavor. Right. Right. Um, and so, but a short you can do, you can manhandle eight minutes. Sure. <laughs> um, but it became one of the, it, it was a very similar situation where it wasn't until we were proving that we could do this, that we could, that we had imagery, that we had renders. So like, just give us boxes, right? right. Like it's going to take us, we're, we're trying to prove that Unreal could be the future for any of our, you know, front end development but you're giving us machines to render on that are taking like 20 minutes a frame. But if you gave us these machines, which you've allocated to a different division because mm-hmm. we're features, they would literally render in like six to eight seconds. Right. Right. And they're like, oh, okay, we see that now. And that's when the support would come in, when right. you would really just be like, look what we're doing. Yep. Support absolutely starts to come in. So I would never fault anybody at DNA for being like, we're not sure. Right. Oh, okay. We see what you're doing. I see you here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned you know obviously you were giving some advice on on certain <laughs> on certain things last uh, yep. yesterday, but you you had mentioned something about being thrown into the role of supervisor and how that kind of broke you for a little bit at yes. the beginning. Yeah. So tell tell me that story. Where did that Where did that start? Where, what 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 were the things that were the most challenging, and why did it happen? Um. So it was. Uh, it was, it, so it was before, well before I, it was before I did Happy Feet. So it had to have been like 2005. Um, and it was still, I was still in Vancouver. Um, and I was working for, uh, an animation company, 
um, that still exists. So I'm not going to say who they are. Right. But um, it was for a project, and it was because it was the early, you know, the early knots, and the people were like, "We're on computers. We can do anything." So right. like our art director was in uh, Sydney. Our director was in LA. Map painting was being done in Ireland. Animation was being done in Vancouver. Okay. Modeling was being done in Montreal. Right. But there wasn't like nobody had any idea of how to coordinate different time zones or to like pass data back and forth. And it was just super, super, super messy. Right. And there wasn't a clear vision for the movie or for the style. And with nobody ever being in the same room or even just like being able to have your production designer, art director, director. I don't even think there was a visual effects supervisor mm-hmm. like in a meeting simultaneously. Right. Nobody ever knew what was going on. And so um, the company that I was at, we were receiving character and environment models from Montreal, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And we were doing the surfacing pass for them. It didn't really have any reference and we didn't really know. And we didn't have light rigs. Right. And nobody thought, and this was before physically based shading. So yep. we're like, as soon as the light changes on this, we have no idea what this is going to look like. And I was brought on as a senior level texture artist, texture and shading artist for characters. And the supervisor that we had just sort of decided all of a sudden that he didn't want to be supervisor anymore. Because okay. it was his first time. And he was just like, oh, I didn't realize that this meant that I wasn't going to be doing any art. And so we just started doing art, and there was nobody manning the department, right? Okay. And so my one of the producers and owners of the company sort of pulled me over and was like, you, we're going to give you the opportunity because you're so dynamic and awesome. And, and I didn't know to say no, right? Okay. Like I was too young and too inexperienced, and you just sort of go like, oh, okay, I guess this is what happens when you have a job. Because it was only like my third full-time gig, right? right. Like sure, it was still contract-based, but it was like, you have a job and you were expected sure, sure, to be sure. here for the, per, you know, until this date on your contract. And so I was like, oh, okay. There was no extra money that went to it. I didn't actually get a title change on my contract. It was <laughs> okay. just like, we're going to have you take on all of this extra responsibility because you're kind of already doing some of it. And I was like, okay. And it was just brutal from that point on. It was, it was, well, obviously, you know how to talk to everybody. I'm like, well, no. I don't necessarily know how to talk to different people in different ways. So like, like right now, when I mentor um, leaderships at DNIC Animation, I'll say one of the key ingredients is to be able to say the exact same thing five different ways. Right. Because everybody processes information a little bit differently. Okay. Right? Some people just tell me what's wrong with it. Some people you need to sandwich it. You know, right. some people know say it one more time, say yeah. it one more time, give me an example, right. show me something visually. Um, so the, the way that you communicate has to change on an individual. I didn't know that when I was thrown into this. Right. I didn't know how to ask for reference art, create, like find my own reference art, support people in that way. I didn't know how to handle scheduling and assignments. And so there would always be the team was incredibly frustrated, as they should have been, mm-hmm. right? Like, there was perceived favoritism just because, like, when somebody would be like, well, I want to do that. I go, oh, okay. Oh, you like him better than you like me. Like, no, he just, like, I didn't know. Right. I didn't understand anything. And then the the company that I worked for used that to sort of prove to the production at large, that I was the one that was incompetent and that this was mostly my fault. And for a while, they allowed the production to think that I had been fired. Really? Yeah. But I was just working, doing my job in the background. Because by that point, I had sort of gotten a handle on, like, technically what we needed to do to just get the shit out the door and, like, lower the standards, lower the expectations, stop trying right. to fix all the things and make it a better experience. Just just do the job. Um, and to this day, I never got credit on that movie. I got credit as a, a assistant texture. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, but I remember, yeah, my producer, like, pulling me into her office afterwards and just, after these meetings where they would just say vile, horrible things about how useless I was and stupid I was and disappointing I was. And she'd be like, thanks for taking one for the team. 
so they full on knew what they were doing. Right. It was also an experience where I had my CG supervisor get so angry with me that he like he bullied me in literally up into a wall and then he punched the wall beside my face. Oh wow. Out of sheer amounts of frustration and anger. And it's like I didn't know that I could just quit. Right. Right? Like you're like, but my contract says like you just sort of think like I guess it's borderline an abusive relationship, right? right Where you're like, right. I don't know, like, I guess, but tomorrow they say that I'm doing a good job and I had no idea how toxic it was. But when you go through something like that and then you go to a studio like Animal Logic, which had its own issues, right? Sure. And all these sorts of things, everywhere does. Grass is always greener, but, mm-hmm. you know, and like, oh, somebody told me I was smart. Right. <laughs> somebody told me I did a good job. Like, right. my director, George Miller, knew my name and he knew what I was working on. Like, yep. wow, that's leadership from the top supporting and right. making sure that everybody feels connected and part of a team. Not one person on Happy Feet was ever held out to dry. Ever. I never saw that. And most people that I know that worked on that project were like, there were moments of hell. But it was pretty damn good, right? right. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was, aw- it was awful. It was right. absolutely awful. And um, I'm surprised in myself that I actually wanted to go back to it. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, I think you just sort of, you hear other people struggling in the company with like, well, my lead just doesn't really give me credit and I'm not really sure and I don't feel comfortable talking to them. And you're like, well, I'd make a better lead then. Right. Right? Because I know what that's like, and I know. Um, and that's probably my greatest, was always my greatest motivation as a supervisor and head of build. Of just right. every, every single artist that's underneath my umbrella needs to know that they feel unique, individual, supported, that right. they have a career path, and whatever that career path is, I can help them achieve that. Right. Um, and I do think most of the team that I directly supervised at Dina Ganim would be like, yeah, she's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, she's okay. She's okay. Yeah. She did okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So how, how, are, how are things at Dina uh, Ganim? <laughs> um, I mean, right now, I mean, right now we are closing on, I, I think I'm allowed to say all of these things. We're, 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 we delivered um, Intergalactic, which uh-huh. is coming out, I believe, next weekend. Okay. Um, it's really visually stunning. It really is. Um, with the Yeah. So we're very, very excited about that. That's, you know, sort of the second thing that ever exited our doors. Right. Um, we delivered a show for Paramount called Under the Boardwalk. I I haven't. I wasn't. I had no periphery on that show, so I'm not entirely sure when it's coming out or on what forum it's coming out. Because we all know there's so many ways for projects to be delivered nowadays. Um, we're finishing up on Nimona. Okay. Uh, so that should be finishing this fall. Wow. And we are currently working on the first fully 3D Garfield. Okay. So that's that's happening. And a couple of, oh, we're, I, I can also say we're working on that Christmas, uh, our, our next project with Locksmith Animation. Okay. The people that we did Wrong Goes Wrong with. Um, it's a Christmas movie, obviously, that right. Christmas. So. Sure. <laughs> so it's super busy. Yeah. We've gone from trying to do one movie a year to three movies a year to four movies a year. Wow. And, um, you know, there's, I, I, I'm always very honest. I'm like, is it perfect? Hell no. I mean, trying to scale at that capacity, it's rough. Right. It's rough. Like, I, you know, I think most of us have heard the saying, like, the pipeline that you build to make the movie that you just made can only make the movie that you just made. Right. So no good for, like, the next movie. So we're very much seeing that, of, like, trying to divide resources to deliver a movie versus the resources to ensure that a pipeline is created that can support that sort of overarching um just the bandwidth of work right so that's been that's been really interesting and in the work from home post-covid years it's it's the amount of jobs that are available it's really difficult to find people Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember, you probably remember as well, you know, mid-2000s, late-2000s, having a job was the new raise, right? And now, oh, no, it's 
if you finding 30 animators, it's, it can be tough. Yeah. Es- especially if you're looking for mid senior lead level, like, but even juniors, you know, straight out of school, kids that are really wanting to go do animation versus visual effects versus right. games versus, you know, technology, uh, I think a hard one is technical resources because, I mean, you just, you've got Omniverse, you've got Meta, you've got, you know, Google and and, and, and Amazon. And so people want to take their their degrees and they want to go work in those industries. They don't necessarily want to develop render engines or, um, you know. I've heard heard that there's certain studios that are really suffering because a lot of their smartest TDs are just quadrupling their salaries and going to work for Meta, you know. I have no comment on that, as I have never lost any of my friends or TDs okay. to individuals <laughs> as such. But uh, no, 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 I, it's, it's, it's true. Like, you go where you're inspired as well, right? Like, sure. I think, yes, there's going to be a lot of people who, who leave for the paycheck, and rightfully so. Sure. Like, you are a smart individual who has a lot to offer any company if that's where you want to be. Right. The reality is, is that they're doing cool shit. Right. They really are. Like, you're just like, okay. I, I see, like, I don't necessarily understand at this phase where you're at and what you're investing in. Right. But I can see that the, that you see the progression of that. Right. Right. And you can see that you're getting in at this level to get to that place. Right. And I support that 100%. If that's where your passion is going to be or you just want to try something different, I absolutely support. Right. I do. But it is true. It's... It, you know, to any students out there, if you want some awesome job security, get yourself a computer science degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you want, you know, study machine learning, that's going to help. Yep. Machine yeah. learning's the whole new thing. I'm, I'm right now, one of the hardest for us to be staffing is, is, you know, basic pipeline ATDs. Yeah. People who are problem solvers and want to work in cartoons Right. Like yeah. I, I want to, I don't want to do the animation. I want to figure out why the animation is not working. Right. right? right. That's, that's a super niche market. Yeah, and, yeah. um, and also very much, uh, unreal developers Yeah. because they all get swept up by gaming studios, not necessarily understanding that gameplay happens in so many other realms, sure. commercials, uh, visual effects, right. you know, virtual production is a huge industry now yep. and it and encompasses, you know, a dozen different disciplines. Yep. 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 And I know Dean Egg's got a very interesting virtual production department. I'm good friends yep. with Steve Griffith. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, that's, that's awesome. I mean, what, what's the, I mean, obviously you told us all the projects are going on. What's, what's going to be special for you? What's going to be happening with you? Well, right. I mean, right now I'm helping out with new business, working on tests. Uh-huh. So I can't tell you anything about what, <laughs> but, um, that's been really interesting because it's, you know, what's, what's interesting about tests are sometimes they are literally just a company going, we want to see what you would do with our project. But right. mostly it's a company going, we want to know what it's going to be like to work with you. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to know that, we're, that there's a good vibe, that there's, we can build a trust, that you see our vision, that we understand what it is that you, when you pitch back to us, your alternative ideas, what they are and where they're coming from. Sure. We want, we want to establish that partnership and that faith, which is very different from the traditional client. I hate the word client. I really do. I don't see them that way. Um, I'll refer to them as team, whatever, like an mm. extension of our team, but I sure. hate the word client. Um, so, so it's really interesting because when you go into reviews they're not reviews. They're they're pitch sessions, right? right? Like not on the animation, not on the look, but just in this is what it's like to work with us, and we get it, or we're trying to get it, or right. okay, how how much do we lean into this versus go? Okay, maybe that's not where we should be putting the effort. Maybe right now we should be focusing on this, and so it's it's a very different way of approaching a review with a producer and a director. And that's been really interesting for me to sort of sit and, because I'll be sitting there so many times just going like, they hate us. Oh my God, they just, they, you know, because you we're still all creatives at right, our heart. Right. We're like, oh, they don't like it. They don't like me. They don't, you feel very judged. And then, and then they'll say that, like, like oh, but it's looking so great. And you're like, oh, oh wait, what? You like me? Oh, right. great. Okay, good. We're good. All right, fine. 
Um, and so, so th- I, I've been working on a lot of that. I don't know what, what, uh, oh God, what year are we at? Is next year 2023? Yep. Okay. I don't know what 2023 is going to hold for me. Um, it will sort of depend on what happens with the various pitches and tests that we're working on. Sure. Um, but we do have, I mean, the one thing that, uh, I shouldn't say the one thing, a very important thing about DNIC animation is that not only do we have a lot of different projects, we have, we have a lot of different visuals, right. right? So, you know, Disney has a look, Pixar has a look. Sony has a look. Even though they're vastly different, you sort of know, like, that's, that's, a, that's a Sony yeah. movie. Illumination has a look. Yeah. Um, Dinah Annam sort of wanted to never be defined by a look. Okay. But by the quality of the project. So if you, when you get to see Enter Galactic and then you see that against Ron Goes Wrong, you'll go, these came out of the same studio? There's right. no way that these came out of the same studio. Um, so that's also really cool when you're a soup or you're in an Annam soup. I mean... I talk to a lot of our anim soups and they're just like, oh, that project's going to be like manga on like eights and then sixes and then this. And then this project's like totally photo real and real world waiting. And that's a noodle project. Right. They're trying to resurrect steampunk willy. And you're just right. like, what? Um, so it's very interesting just to see yeah, yeah. all of the differences. Yeah. yeah that's exciting. That's a lot yeah. very exciting. All right. Well, awesome. We'll give David my best when you see him. Of course. And uh, it's 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 cool that you're doing it. Thank you so much for, for being oh, on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great. It really has. Thank you. 